Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. Folks, I have sheets from Miracle Made and ugh, I love them, especially in the summer or in these transitional seasons where your body is like hot and cold and it's just like confused. Here's the deal with Miracle Made they make sheets, okay? But they use NASA inspired technology with silver infused fabrics to make these sheets temperature regulating so that you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. It's so delightful. Traditional bed sheets can also have way more bacteria. It can, they can have more bacteria than a toilet seat, which is crazy. They can lead to acne and allergies and stuffy noses. It's just super gross. My husband is one of these people that gets acne from traditional bed sheets. Um, but when we discovered Miracle Made, his face just cleared up. It was, it's been so great because they have this technology that prevents 99.7% of bacteria growth and it requires up to three times less laundry. Uh, so like I said, there's a self-cooling property for better quality sleep. There's a self-cleaning property. Uh, there's comfort and quality. I mean, they're so luxurious. It's like nicer than sheets you'd find at a five-star hotel. And it's designed for your skin so that bacteria doesn't get all up in your pores. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should try miracle.com slash fake the nation. Whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order them today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code fake the nation at the checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 30-day money back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get that full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 340. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we try desperately not to lose the mini zen we had achieved over Christmas break. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and listen, January, I'm not going to let you stress me out, I swear to God. Today... We will talk about, in fact, the very stressful border crisis instead. We'll also talk about Noma and the future of fine dining. And we'll talk about the slut era and whether or not we're in it. Um, I am so excited by today's panel. I was just telling them. It's the kind of panel where I could sort of like sit back and relax because they're so brilliant. And they're so already good at the job of hosting podcasts. I'm kind of just like an afterthought. Um, So first on that list is host of Fraudsters. He's a producer at Zero Cool. He's been on the show a kajillion times. I'm sure you already subscribe to Fraudsters, and if you don't, you should. He's the one of her Cena Gaznavi. Hey, Cena. Oh, my God. So great to be here. I love doing this show. This I'm so pumped. And it's so wonderful to see my older sister in comedy, Nagi. Oh, hello. Um, by the way, we're just like, I mean, slinging Iranians at the listening audience because we just had Reza Aslan on. And now we're doing a Cena. I mean, you're the, folks, you're getting the cream of the crop of Iranians <laughs> on this show, just so you know what's happening here. Uh, now, Alex is not an, an Iranian, but for the purposes of 
this show cream of the crop, okay? Nobody's Aww. perfect. Um, Thank you. <laughs> she is an on-air host and journalist. She is so fabulous. You've also heard her on this show before. She is the wonderful Alex Berg. Hey, Alex. Hello, hello. Thank you so much. So delighted to be uh, trying to work through the, the stress now of the news cycle and everything with the two of you. Yes, but we're not going to let it get to no. us, guys. No, um, and before we head into um, our first topic, I just want to remind listeners um, that you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Um, we just posted a really fantastic uh, bonus episode with Ophira Eisenberg on um, the royals and like a weird thing that's happening at a Thai temple. So let those words wash over you. All of those things I just said are in one bonus episode of Fake the Nation. You can get those kinds of bonuses at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad um, and support what I'm sure is at least one of your top 35 favorite podcasts or whatever. I'm not trying to pretend like I'm number one, but am I in the top 35? Oh, I hope so. All right, let us get into it with topic number one. Okay, so here's a thing. I got an email from a listener um, that we should talk about the um, the immigration crisis, right? And and I was like, oh, yeah, we should. And I was trying to think, like, where we are in that process. And then literally I'm in the, also the process of touring schools, blah, blah, blah. I have a child. Don't worry about it. The public school system in New York is <laughs> a many wonderful thing that is also very complex and requires navigation and a lot of touring. And um, I was at the school and this one school was just like, oh, yeah, we are the recipients of some of the children of the busloads of migrants that had been sent here by Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis or whatever. And I was like, oh, obviously we've been hearing about busloads of migrants being sent here to New York City. But like it was, you know, I hadn't been touched by it that directly. You know what I mean? Where I was like literally seeing migrant kids playing in the playground. Um, so and and I and 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 just the 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 just the larger policy implications and the larger emotional implications like flooded into my brain of wow they sent like thir- i mean how many did they send here 40,000 people arrived and remember this when they arrived it was unexpected it was without any warning so here we are new york city a, a city that believes that we should like take care of the, these people, um, but with no warning. And then, and now here I am going to schools where they're literally taking care of those migrant kids. And at one point I was just like so um, overwhelmed and, and so proud, you know? But also I was like, how is the 40,000 family, I mean, 40,000 people, I don't know how many children, how is that even... How do you logistically manage that and pay for it? And I mean, I had all of the questions. So anyways, the the combination of get, of a listener wanting us to talk about it. I think her name is Patricia. Shout out, Patricia. Um, so um, er, so here's my first question. Uh, Eric Adams, you know, he went on a trip to El Paso the other day and um, he's saying that these uh, that the New York City would need two billion dollars to be able to handle this migrant situation um and he wants that money from the federal government um and again we'll just start here because it's interconnected like what do these quote-unquote sanctuary cities have to do what is what is everyone's responsibility in this situation 
I know it's like the largest question. <laughs> yes. What is the meaning of life? I'm ready for it. <laughs> is this podcast 17 hours long? I'm ready. <laughs> you know, the immigration stuff, I think there's two approaches to it. We can be compassionate. Or we can be like some of these other countries that are not compassionate and be very anti-immigration. But we're supposed to be a country that wants entrepreneurship, that wants the economy to grow, that wants diversity of thought to come into the country so that we can be an economic powerhouse. And time and time again, economists have written that when immigration is high, more people come in, innovation increases, entrepreneurship increases, you get my more diversity of thought and the economy grows. The problem is with more immigration, you need to build out an infrastructure for these folks so that they can be entrepreneurs, so that they can live in these cities or build new cities or build new towns or expand the city limits so that they can be here. That's at the end of the day, that's really, I think, what you have to do. I don't see another way to go about doing it. I mean, there's plenty of studies out there that'll show that like people complain that when immigration is low, wages go up. But at the end of the day, businesses will always want to get the cheapest labor possible. So even if immigration increases, they're going to hire these workers to work in these places. And we need to figure out a way to like get more people into the economy because it also, again, broadens the tax base. That's another thing we should not forget. More people we have yes. here, the more people that are paying taxes, the more the government can actually get funding for stuff. Yeah. I was going to say the way that I kind of think about this is on two different tracks, which is Nagin, when you were talking about seeing these kids playing out of the playground, I think of it on a really like community based level. Um, you know, as a city, clearly we need more resources. And also New York City needs to be allocating resources um, towards housing migrants and um, providing education, clothing, et cetera, whatever resources folks need um, uh, from whatever the city budget is. I can't help but think of the incredible amount of money that goes towards policing in the city. Um, that I'm like, why can't that money go towards supporting uh, migrants and folks coming here out of great need? Um, but I think about it on like a community level, seeing the kids at the playground. I've been so heartened to see so many people having clothing drives, um, doing really kind of direct action within their communities um, to help the folks who have uh, ended up in New York City. But then I think a lot of times what happens with these uh, huge issues in our country is that we feel like a great deal of personal responsibility and it can feel really uh, helpless. Um, and the reality is that this is also a systemic issue and that the federal government does need to be providing the resources here and stepping in um, to help these folks. And I think it's just also so important to remember that people don't leave their, their home countries because things are going great. Um, the people who are leaving are arriving out of desperation. And if you look at some of the images from along the border, it is just heartbreaking to watch the conditions that these people are having to endure. Um, and so I, I, you know, I would hope that there would be some kind of fast path to ensure that they can remain here um, safely and be housed and have access to education and, and all of those other resources. So I, I kind of see it in a, a two pronged way. Love to see everybody being all hands on deck within their communities, but then also want to see um, the larger system change to support them. And can I just add, like, you know, one of the things that um, Eric Adams has asked for is for Biden to appoint a leader at the Federal Emergency Management Agency to coordinate a national response to the crisis. My feeling about this Seen. I'm so glad you mentioned the the merciless capitalist uh, compare. Um, 
um, impetus that we have, right? Which is that there could be a larger tax base. Like, let's just think about money. Like, every immigrant create, I can't remember the number and I'm going to have to look it up, but I've, t- I've talked about this number before, but it's something crazy. Like every immigrant creates 2.7 jobs or something. Again, I'm making that up, but it's in that neighborhood. And um, and so we often, it's weird because when, when we're talking about like money, like I think conservative lawmakers should be really interested if they need to look at these people as dollar signs, fine. Okay. I don't care. Whatever gets you there like, to a system that allows my immigration to happen. Um, that's, you know, it's gross, but okay. You know, like these people end up creating jobs. That's the reality. And, um, and, the, but the other, but I do, I think in terms of having a federal emergency management agency coordinating the, a national response, that makes so much sense because the question is, does it, is it reasonable for 40,000 people to come to New York City and zero people go to Sheboygan? Does that make sense? It doesn't yeah, make exactly. sense, right? Yeah. It makes more. Does it make sense for for um, Houston to get none and, and, and Washington, D.C. to get all of them? Like, why? Why are we doing it that way? So um, we can't let vindictive governors make the decision for us. It has to be a national response. Um, and I think, you know, look, there's federal property all over the country. It makes sense for the some of these like border zones to just be dealt with that way. Like um, this is a federal problem and we are going to, you know, and the, the other thing is just finding, again, if we're looking at people with m- money in, in our sites, um, Again, I'm not saying I do that, but I'm saying I'm just like giving Republicans a way, a way in. Um, then I would say the part of the reason the United States does not have a huge population decline problem and it's attending aging population problem, right? Part of the reason we don't have that problem, a problem that like Japan has and like Vietnam and I don't know, Germany has or whatever, is because we have a robust immigration program that has historically that have brought people in. We're not having babies at the rate of the labor needs in this country. We're not having babies at the rate of the tax base needs in this country, right? We're only able to keep all of our social. If you love Social Security, then you should love immigration. You know what I mean? And so I, I just am like, I know I'm like, it's so easy to talk about and like a thousand times more difficult. I was a policy person. Like I know how difficult it is to implement these things. But it, it's the some of the solutions seem so obvious. Does North Dakota need a few more people in the population? Like, yes. Do some of these Rust Belt cities need a few more people, like with their declining populations? And by the way, declining numbers in Congress and Senate, uh, not Senate, but in Congress, because of those declining populations. Come on. Where are we? What are we talking about here? It's a win-win. You know, uh, I think there's also there's the policy issue, but it's like, why do we have the policy issue? And there's a cultural kind of motivating like factor that's almost like disinformation. I found this study from Harvard where they surveyed 24,000 economists from Harvard surveyed 24,000 people from France, Germany, Italy, Sweden, Britain and the United States in 2018. And they came up with a result that said the respondents greatly overestimated the total number of immigrants. They think immigrants are culturally and religiously more distant from them. 
and are economically weaker, less educated, more unemployed, and more reliant on and favored by government transfers. That then is the case, then is actual reality. So the policy problems that we have are motivated by these probably what I would say racist kind of sentiments that yeah. we have across not just America, but around the world. There's this fear that people have of immigrants. People are afraid of our families, Nagin, that when we came, our families came to the <laughs> yeah, country, totally, they were like totally. quivering like, oh, these these Iranians are going to take everything from us. <laughs> they don't have any education. Aha, fooled you. And so this, this, <laughs> this is what it is. And here's another just final point. I, from and When I was looking at this, I was just like, can we just tell some of these immigrants that we've peaked in America. And <laughs> like, I get it. It's worse other places, but this isn't the time. Um, I want to say for the record that I do not co-sign on that assessment. We have not peaked. We're, do, you know, we are. Uh, I know we have a, children. An we amazing can't peak. nation. We can't peak. Like it, it. And you know what? I don't want it to peak for her either. I want it to just keep being. Great. It doesn't need to go up. It, the, the, it's, not, it's not like it has to be an upward curve, but it needs to be a delightful flatline. <laughs> you know what? There's something about the words delightful flatline. That's just a great description Absolutely. for the state of affairs these days, yeah. you know? Because you're kind of like flatline could really mean however could things mean, are you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. It could, could be, be just like things are pretty great or fine or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? I know that they're not when you're talking when you're talking to migrants who have nothing. Um, let me, Alex, let me close on this question. Um, Biden last week announced a new crackdown on a, was a little over a week ago, a new crackdown on illegal border crossing paired with some new New avenues of migration um, to, you know, of, of immigrants to be able to come here legally uh, now. So he's kind of like giving the Republicans what they want, which is to be meaner and then giving Democrats what they want, which is like to provide more ways for people to come in legally. Of course, no one's happy. Like Democrats don't think it's going far enough. Like Republicans don't think it's like hardcore enough. The the crackdown. Um, what do you, what is what do you think? What is the guy supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, I feel like when he was when he was running, one of the things that I, that I think stuck with a lot of more progressive Democrats was that he really was trying to call attention to the the humanity of these migrants and also um, disagreeing a lot with the Trump administration's um, policies, terrible policies, inhumane policies towards migrants. And um, so I think that it feels there's like a, a, a little bit of a sense of hypocrisy around uh, disagreeing and and being so outspoken against the inhumanity, and then now sort of trying to acquiesce to more uh, Republican policies, um, but also like unenviable situation to be in. Um, wouldn't want to have to uh, make the policy at this moment, but um, I think it would just be nice to see him be more resolute about it and really condemn the conditions and um, really recognize. Uh, just how how awful it is at the border right now and that these people are are seeking asylum and escaping these terrible conditions. Yeah, I, I, I think that's well said. And my final thought is, again, please send spread the wealth of the the wealth that literally these migrants will create. <laughs> spread it around the country and not just now that it's again, now that I don't want them here. I'm just saying, like, from a resource point of view, uh, let's let's let everybody enjoy um, the fruits of migration. OK, uh, let us quickly take a break to hear from our sponsors and when we come back we'll get into topic number two 
Today's show is sponsored by Paired. And oh my God, me and my husband have had such a great time using Paired. We had this conversation recently because one of the questions that the app gave us was how do you personally express your love for your partner? I had some really ridiculous things that I was sharing with him that he sort of like totally saw as like, oh yeah, that is how you you show your love for me. Like one of those things is he's like very sensitive to windows being open without the screen being there or like shades not being drawn at night or like just stuff involving (laughs) windows. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't care about that. So I show my love for him by like doing those things because I know (laughs) He cares. And he recognized that as like a very weird form of showing your love for someone. And then I was like, I should actually do more exciting and interesting things for him. One of the ways he shows his love for me is by wearing the clothes that I buy him, which he doesn't always want to wear. But he does because he knows that I love like seeing them. P.S. I feel like he looks better when he wears the clothes I buy him. All right, that's just a side note. But point is, we've had these really fun conversations because of paired and it's as you've now guessed a relationship app for couples you and your partner you download the app you pair together and every day paired gives you questions quizzes games it's a way to to have fun stay connected and deepen your conversations and I think you know when you get to a certain point I mean me and my dude have been together for like 10 years so it's kind of great to have this external entity like giving you these questions and inspiring new forms of conversation that you hadn't thought of in these 10 years. And so I don't know, I highly, highly recommend Paired. It's so fun. Um, whether you're a new couple and you could you could really use some some questions to get things to deepen things, or you're a couple that's been around the block and you could use these questions to kind of like find a new and interesting things you didn't really know about each other. Either way, it's time to lighten the mood and have fun with your partner by using Paired. Head to Paired dot com slash fake the nation to get a seven day free trial and 25% off. If you sign up for a subscription, just head to paired.com slash fake the nation to sign up today. Connect with your partner every day using paired. A happier relationship starts here. Go to paired.com slash fake the nation. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole. Well, good thing. Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. we are back and we're ready for topic number two uh noma which is maybe the most famous fine dining establishment in the world in copenhagen announced it'll be closing its doors because the business is unsustainable um now you can expect to spend like 500 dollars for a meal there and that's on the low end i think uh so before we get into it i guess had you ever heard of noma um what is it on your radar? this is like everyone was talking about it this last week was it on your radar have you eaten there like where are you guys um on noma in particular alex you want to go first sure i mean i heard about the story i feel like i have heard of noma in the context of like 
satire or like parody (laughs) of, you know, really over the top restaurants. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have not eaten at Noma, so I don't know. You, that oh, you haven't really had their the, rain their reindeer so, meat. I'm so sorry. I have not had the reindeer meat at Noma. Um yeah. But I mean, listen, I guess like if I if I could have, I, I don't know, it sounds like it would have been an interesting culinary experience. Um so yeah, I, I the story, I heard about the story, haven't been there myself. Yeah, I mean, are you and this this goes to both of you are you guys the type of people that are like looking for that experience? Like, where are you on the let's spend a gajillion dollars on a meal spectrum? So, and it's fine. That, that's out of judgmental. Like, I, I know people that would love to. I don't actually know anyone that's been to Noma, but I think. But, uh, you know. So I, I years ago, I once had drinks with David Chang and I didn't oh, know. Yeah. It was David Chang. And I kept asking him what his restaurant name was. I was like, oh, you're a chef. That's so cool. What's your restaurant? He goes, Momofuku. And then throughout the entire evening, I was like, tell me, what was the name of that restaurant? I'm going to go to it. (laughs) And and he's like, Momofuku. I had him say Momofuku maybe half a dozen to a dozen times. And I was like, you know what, man? Best of luck. I hope you really, I hope you really get, you know, it's really tough running a restaurant in the city here. And he's like, yeah, man, we're doing okay. I looked it up when I got home. I was like, who is this David Chang guy? First result, Charlie Rose interview. And I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. That's hilarious. I love that you had no idea and you hung out with him. I love that. I love that you kept him humble. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, because, yeah, I, I, that's how I, I remember this one time I was walking, I maybe said this story on the show before, but I was on a, walking down the subway platform and had just been on TV the night before for something I don't remember. And the and someone on the subway goes, hey, are you that comedian that was on TV last night? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> there was no, like, compliment. There was nothing that came after yeah. that. And I was like, all right. Got, oh, got it. I will always it. be in this place. Like this is you put me in my place, and don't worry, I I rarely move from this spot right here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Cena, you're you're besides um you know like shitting on David Chang to his face. Um, <laughs> what what is your relationship to find out? I like I like to go to a nice restaurant, but I'm definitely like I have to ask my friends that are foodies for the recommendation. Right, I'm right, the guy right, who right. likes the good time and I like the good food, but. It's there's so much to do. I can't norm this like blew me away. They're plucking the, the leaves off the lavender plant. I was like, give me yeah. a break, man. Yeah, Come they on. Are. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I think it's interesting because like it's it's this world. I, I have to admit, from my end, um, when I. Um, went to Paris over the summer. Ooh. Not a big deal. But it was and you're fluent in French, I believe. Is that and I'm right? also fluent in French and I've lived there. It's not. It's fine. <laughs> um, and it, the funny thing for me, when I lived in Paris before, my idea of fine dining was just like the crepe stand on the corner. Mm-hmm. Like I, you can get extremely good food for very cheap in France. It's just part of the culture, right? Um, I had never really been to really amazing restaurants until I was older. And this time I was like, oh, well, let's go to Paris and let's go to one of these restaurants that everybody talks about that I never really went to for money reasons. And um, and we went to like two like fine dining experiences and they were fascinating. I mean, they were great. They were so interesting. Um, but also like the, I don't remember specifically like what odd, you know, 
part of an animal we ate, but we did eat like some odd animal parts, right? Because that's what these places are doing. They're like experimenting, right? And then there's a foam element. And then there's a thing that's supposed to, that's, you know, that's supposed to be noodles, but it's made out of, you know, it's like a pig elbow. Like you just, it's all weird, right? Yes, the toenail confit. No, exactly. (laughs) And so some of the toenail confit was like delicious, right? And then other aspects were just like a little too... Like weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm not trying to eat that again. I'm glad that I experienced it once in my life, you know? Um, so part of me is like, you know, the sort of cute bistro with the reliable meal in Paris was like almost better for me than these like wildly, this like lavish fine dining experience. Um, so I'm, I've, I get that it's so special, you know? Um, and maybe I'm just not a foodie enough to go all the way with it, you know. Uh, but I would say what's fascinating to me is that these places are deeply expensive and unsustainable at the same time. <laughs> like Noma, you could spend easily nine hundred dollars for one person, and they weren't paying their interns. Like up until the, you know, I think it was founded in like two thousand three or something. Up until twenty twenty two, they were not paying their stagiaires. Um, what, what did you think about the sustainability piece? Do you think it'll have like a ripple effect on the rest of the fine dining world? Oh, the way I, I found that the way that the whole angle on the sustainability stuff, I found it to be very fascinating because reading between the lines, it was basically uh, the way that I kind of saw it was like, oh, folks no longer want to work for free these unbearable hours and should be compensated for their work. And now that you have to start paying them, that that makes it unsustainable for you to run the business <laughs> yeah. under this current model. I was like, oh, now that uh, we uh, are addressing some of the labor problems of this model, it's not functional anymore. Um, Alex, yeah. I agree completely. That's exactly how I took it as well, because I think we're in a time right now where there is a shift in how we approach labor and how workers feel like they need to be treated. There isn't this like desperation anymore. Workers have a lot more power. And I think, uh, you know, small business owners, like I run a production company, we're being thoughtful about how productions run, right? You know this, you guys both know mm-hmm. this, 12 hour production days, 14 hour production days. That's the norm oh, yeah. for this entire industry. My company, yeah. we're doing 10 hour production days, which isn't like revolutionary. But when you say that- <laughs> But right, it is, but it, it is, is. It is a big deal. And you say, hey, we're doing 10 hour production days. You know, it is a long day, but if you can't get it done in 10 hours, you should be a better producer or do it the next day. And that's the type of stuff that- that people and small business owners need to think about and shift the way their business model works to a way that is more sustainable, that we want people to have a life. And is it, do you work to live or live to work? And that's like this, you know, philosophical question you can kind of get into. And I think, you know, in Europe, people are supposed to work to live, right? I mean, the other thing I would say on the sustainability piece for these restaurants is, and I'm so curious to know, like, okay, if Noma is not sustainable, what about whatever, what else, whatever else is in the top ten? How are they doing financially? Because one of the examples they gave is there was an intern from India who for three months at her own expense came to Noma. She knew having that on her resume would be just like a game changer. And she spent the literally entire time 
putting together these fruit leather beetles. Uh, B- P.S. Lava Shack, okay, for Iranians who are listening. And um, and she would put together these fruit leather in, in a, a really tiny itty-bitty beetle, right? And then they would put these beetles in little wooden boxes. That's all she did for three months. And she's, she had to do it quietly and she had to do it without laughing, which I thought was an odd detail uh, and just a, a crazily inhumane detail. Um, and I was just sort of like, I mean, I'm sure I, there's a picture of the beetle in the, in the New York Times article that we looked at. Gorgeous beetle. Okay. Fantastic. Top notch. Um, not sure if it's necessary for an entire human being to do, like, could she have just made the fruit leather, but made it into like a circle and we call it a day? You know what I mean? Like how much is the beetle adding, you know, sometimes it's a little bit like you got to cut costs somewhere and maybe beetle gets the ax. It gets replaced by a nice geometric shape that we're all happy with. Do you know what, like, the biggest problem I see with this is, like, these these fancy chefs don't want to change. They want to keep having their beetles all the time. They're going to go out of business. And you know what's going to fill that void? McDonald's. There's going to be a Michelin-starred McDonald's one day. We're going to order a Big Mac with foie gras on top of it. It's going to be a mess. It's like you need to think differently. You know what? Sign me up. Like, oh I my gosh, I know. Me too. So, you know, I just, I can't deny. <laughs> no, but to, the, to what you were saying earlier, it's like you were asking, do you like fine dining or do you like, you know, do you enjoy that experience? I feel like I just enjoy good food. I don't consider myself to be a foodie, but I just want to go anywhere. I don't care what kind of place it is. If it's good, I'm yeah. going to be happy. If it has yeah. good vibes, you know, like a nice ambiance, whatever, I'll be happy. I, I like to try every kind of food because it's a fun experience. But yeah. I think I it doesn't I, I don't think that like fine dining is the thing that would appeal to me. But I guess once you start thinking about that, the, the beetle and the allocation of time, energy, who the heck knows how much that jam cost? You're like, maybe that's one of the reasons why this isn't working so well. And also, it just sounds like just even though it's specifically at Noma and in the culinary world, it actually just sounds like the epitome of the worst unpaid internships ever. Ugh. Like no matter what industry oh, yeah. you could be working in, the you'd worst. have to pay your way and then be given the most specific finite task expected not to like look people in the eye and carry them coffee so i feel like there is some connection to other industries and and you know i I do feel like there's a lot more pushback now to asking people to do rightfully so asking people to do unpaid internships yeah i mean i feel like there was a there was a sort of um trickle down or trickle outward effect of the the me too movement where suddenly people were like well just generally Shitty mm. bosses are shitty, right? Like yeah. we shouldn't be tolerating shitty bosses in like terrible so conditions. So we sort of started this whole, and then the pandemic, of course, has exacerbated that of like, what are we doing if everyone's miserable uh, and 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 conditions are shitty? Um, why why are we doing that? And so I think again, like part of me is like, Noma, let's look at your. If I was if I was their, you know, if I was their management consultant. I would be looking at the number of beetles and how we could cut time. You know what I mean? Like maybe you could, if maybe you could keep your restaurant open if there weren't so many fucking fruit leather beetles involved. And then he would flip a table. 
at that suggestion. <laughs> I know. And I know like foodies right now in the audience are like flipping their tables in at me digitally, you know. Um, so so folks, let me know. What do you think? Um, was Noma on your bucket list? You still have a chance, by the way. I think it's open until 2024. Um, but let me know where you are in the foodie scene. I'm so curious to hear. All right. And before we get into the next topic, I just want to remind listeners, I am up at Joe's Pub this weekend in New York City. If you are in New York City Thursday, Friday or Saturday, um, please, uh, I think there's a a few tickets left. Um, uh, They should be still as of um, as of the broadcast of this show on Thursday. So um, so check out check me out in New York City. And for the rest of you, I will hopefully be coming to your town soon. Um, In fact, I'll be in Chicago next week for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. If you haven't gone to a live taping of that, that's a fun time. Uh, All right. Let us move on to topic number three. The slut era has arrived. It's being followed on TikTok by 10.2 million. So, you know, the slut era must be real if it's on TikTok. Um, I don't know. But like vabbing from two weeks ago, which I don't even repeat what it is to you guys, but listeners know vabbing. Um, I'm still not totally convinced (laughs) that this is a real thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm disconnected from the world. But in the event that it is. Here's a definition. It's about looking slutty without any of the fucking is my understanding. It's my understanding, um, which also sounds less fun. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, we read a piece about it in Vice, and in it they say, quote, fashion is more about negative space than material. Skin is the plat du jour. Promiscuity is served up in abundance. Sex is pulsing th- the through line of the zeitgeist. Uh, again, though, they're not having very much <laughs> Sex, so slut era, sexless slut era. Um, Alex, uh, what did you think of this trend? Okay, I personally think the slut era is a state of mind. Okay, so I think it's a state of mind where you just you live your best life and you treat yourself, and I guess you don't have to have the sex that goes along with it. But I think it's just all about being over the top, however you want, and really like doing whatever you want regardless of what that means. You're taking the word slut and reclaiming it and just making it a stand-in for doing stuff that makes you feel good. So I have to say I'm pro-slut era. I feel like (laughs) there are probably many different eras that have had the same exact meaning as the slut era. And I think like I welcome everyone to find their inner slut and live their best life. In their own era, whatever that means to you. <laughs> it's it's funny though that the slut that that living your best life has to be like attached to this term that has historically been about whatever like tawdry behavior or something. I it's just I it it's just funny. Okay, Cena, where are you at on the slut era? Are you well, in the slut era? Well, let me just say this: now that I am <laughs> married and I have a child. I am a dirty, dirty slut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no sex happening. <laughs> just and I'm on TikTok. I'm looking at TikTok. I'm not making TikToks. This is great. Reclaim the word. I mean, I always had a problem with the word slut because there wasn't one for guys. There were you could call oh, a guy, yeah. but it never. Huh. It was always like, I, I, yeah. you know. There was no parody there, and it always seemed weird to me that, like, guys could do all this stuff. And, like, if if a girl sleeps with not even many, but the wrong guy. That was another thing in high school or college or whatever. It was the guy that you did. Like, oh, that's a slut. And it's like, it never... It never clicked for me. Uh, so I'm very pro slut now, apparently. But uh, by the way, th- the term slut was first used in 1402 by Thomas Hoclave um, to describe someone who was slovenly or dirty. Mm-hmm. Then in 1664, um, it was it was used in um, 
in a book by Samuel Pepys um, to refer to a servant as who he referred to a servant as an admirable slut, um, which was sort of like a playful and endearing term. And the newer definition um, of like bold or impotent girl or hussy uh, was this is all from the article was first seen in the late 15th century um, in um, and Charles Dickens is actually the one that popularized the way that we use it today in Nicholas Nickleby. Um, so so the term slut goes way back. And it sounds like actually it was used on men pre- like in the early days. So the the hussy uh, shift to like using it with women came later in its iteration. I want to say like I when slut first entered my lexicon, mm-hmm. um, I would say it was probably like high high school, college or whatever. I used it equally on men and women because, you know, obviously dude be dudes be sluts. And um and so right, I think part of it is there's like this like anti feminist bent to it and the slut era reclaims it. I mean, part part of me also wonders, you know, but why isn't there very much sex? <laughs> because because it's almost like it's almost like it's saying it's sex is bad. It's not exactly saying that sex is bad, but it's almost like it's saying that because there's, there's not very much sex involved. By the way, just statistically, Gen Z is in a sex recession, apparent, yeah. according huh. to an Australian survey. Australians are about as sexually active as people. Gen Z Australians are as about uh, are about as sexually active active as people age seventy five and over. Seventy five. Oh now. wow. Um, with only thirty seven percent saying they have sex at least once a month. Um, huh. I so mean, there's what guys. My slut, my only thought is what if the seventy five year old and up? What if they're like having the best time? And maybe we should be like <laughs> Gen Z is lucky because they're just doing as well as as boomers. I don't. Know. It does you know, feel very generational. Right. It 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 it's it's also funny like we there was a segment we had a few months ago about how you shouldn't drink until you're 40. 40 is when you're bo- when you can actually handle um <laughs> drinking like you you get Oops. some sort of like nutritional benefit from one drink like cognitively, one or two <laughs> drinks. And but then below 40 you don't get any of those benefits or whatever. And so I'm wondering is there, are we going to learn that like actually sex is only awesome once you're 75 or something? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Is there a connection there? Like, this is so weird. It's also, it's just funny to me to be so presentational because they, you know, they reference a lot um, the the sort of, um, you know, the pop stars that are in the zeitgeist that are wearing um, like, you know, kind of dominatrix style um, BDSM outfits on the red carpet and how they're being like very presentational that way. Um, wh- how does that, I mean, I guess, wh- how does that square with wherever we're at with feminism? A thing that I understand also changes over time. I, think I mean, I, yeah, so sorry. Oh, no. please. No, please oh, no. let the man talk about feminism, okay. Alex. Uh, well, <laughs> I was going to say, okay, no, you know, I, I am definitely, I am like, my feeling of feminism is all about bodily autonomy. That includes being able to wear, like, I definitely, I, I what, I, what even generation of feminism are we in these days? I don't I know, even I know like, what we're up to know, now yeah. or what we would call ourselves. Um, but, but I believe for me, uh, sex positivity also 
squares very much with the kind of feminism I believe in. And it's really about every woman and marginalized, marginalized person's ability to self-determine what they want to do with their body. So to me, I'm like pro wear your BDSM, whatever makes you happy. Pro wear your, use, use slut if it means you're going to wear your BDSM gear. Use slut if it means you're going to use the 1400s definition of being slovenly in your living room in your sweatpants. <laughs> I support all of that. So for me, it really squares because it's about bodily autonomy and liberation. Yeah. So, and so what I'm hearing from you, which is sort of like my position on it is if you're signaling that you want sex or if you're not signaling that you're, you want sex, both of those things are fine. I think my my one thing is I hope you're not just um, living online and not having sex because you're not, you're living online. That's my main, and I say this in, in a I somehow managed to say a sentence like this in nearly every episode, no matter what we're talking about. Mostly, I hope that this is not a phenomenon for you online, that like your slut era is happening in person. You know what I mean? Um, that's my main thing. Cena, what what were you going to say? Um, so I think there's like the the backdrop against a lot of this, I think, is the puritanical roots of this country. And it's like high time to have like a snapback. BDSM outfits in public and red carpets. I love it. That's what we need to be doing. I mean, you know, we have all these draconian laws in this country. We have this culture that's built on like, let's see a bunch of violence on TV. But if you see a nipple, it's like something that we talk about for 25 <laughs> years. You know, yes, so, Janet and I think that that is overdue for us right now. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't care if you're having sex or not having sex. You need to go outside and see someone in person. (laughs) I don't care if you're smelling the vabbing on a a woman or whatever you need to do. You need to be outside. You need to be indoors with other people, outdoors with other people. The people thing. This pandemic has ruined a lot of that for the Gen Zs, I know. So Well, and that's actually one of they trace this to the pandemic because there was an, an element of being able to show it but not touch it. Yeah. And so there was remember and you know I don't know if you guys remember that era like in 2020 2021 of like posting nudes that were like like art nudes, you know, and a lot of people mm. were doing that. That was a little moment. Do I remember? Um, it? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me open up your Instagram. Um but like so they're they're tracing it back to this thing of like you know, you can show it because it's easy to do that online and you're not going to get COVID. Um, Now, again, I think what we, you know, what we want to just remind everyone is um, you can also now show it in person. (laughs) Yeah. And you might find it more fun and exciting to to show it in person. (laughs) As someone who wore a fair share of titty shirts uh, in my time, okay. Uh, I, I, uh, I had my own, my own personal slut era, um, in which I had a great time. Um, <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right, and that, my friends, is the end of the show. And ah, you both are so utterly delightful. I can't even handle it. What I would really love is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Cena, where do they do that? You can follow me at Cena now on all social media and make sure to follow at Fraudsters LPN. That's our podcast all about scams. And we've got a great show. We just did the diamond industry. We're doing Lou Pearlman next. So check it out. 
Oh, my God. Um, did you use a clip from the movie Blood Diamond in your mm-hmm. Diamond Industry episode? I'll one-up you on that. We actually used a clip from Congo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, friend. <laughs> oh, I love that. Folks, um, absolutely subscribe. Follow Cena everywhere. At, you already know this. I don't have to tell you. He's the best. Um, Alex Berg, who is also the best. Cream of the crop. Alex, where do people follow you? You can just find me on all the social media platforms as at it's Alex Berg. I honestly, when we thought Twitter was just going offline, I joined like every possible social media platform you could possibly join. And so just it's Alex Berg, like literally everywhere. Oh, my. So you're on Mastodon. I am on Mastodon. Am I actually using it? You know, maybe sometimes. Three Fake the Nation listeners who have Mastodon accounts. (laughs) Follow her. On Mastodon, let's get this going. God, I should yeah, probably be my open like fifteenth follower, please. Be- <laughs> <laughs> um, and folks, you know where to find me in all the social medias. Again, don't forget I'm at Joe's Pub uh, this weekend in New York City. I'll be in other cities um, coming up. I'll keep letting you know. And I uh, would love to um, thank all the people that make the show happen. That is our fantastic producer Andrew McGuire, our wonderful audio engineer Steph. Aguilar, everyone at HeadGum who makes this a possibility. We're in fact even recording in the HeadGum studios. How lucky am I? And um, as always, reach out. Let us know. You can reach us at um, fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. I hope I have that right. Um, and you, you could also email me from my website. A lot of people do that at thegamefirstall.com. Um, and a lot of people just like direct message me on all of the platforms. Um, sometimes it's harder for me to track those things, which is why I'm trying to get people to do, use more the email. Um, and what can I say? We like your ideas, your guest ideas. And don't forget to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts because it really helps people find the show. Um, and uh, that's it. We will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.